Alrighty, so today we're in the book of Exodus, chapter 13, and we will be covering the entire book. And uh, I titled my uh, study here, What Do You Choose to Remember? So uh, let me do a quick recap of uh, what's been going on so far. And there has been a lot of action in the first uh, 12 chapters. So we read about uh, 10 miraculous plagues that came upon Egypt. And uh, we've seen Pharaoh harden his heart a number of times. And then he ended up crossing the line of no return, at which point God hardened his heart and gave him into his own devices. And then uh, in chapter 12, which we covered for the last two weeks, um, it presented us with the details of the Passover as it was explained and instituted. And if you remember in chapter 12, verse 13, it says, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. But the firstborn of every household of Egypt, including Pharaoh, was struck. And Pharaoh finally gives in and tells Moses to take his people and get out of there. So uh, chapter 12, verse 31 says, Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. We know the heart of Pharaoh. And uh, we also see that there was a tremendous fear in the hearts of the Egyptians. Um, in verse 33 of chapter 12, it says, And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. And uh, I could imagine, I was trying to picture this in my head, what kind of chaos it must have been where, you know, um, every single family lost the firstborn. And just, uh, you know, you've got a stubborn king who's leading your nation, and then he's not listening to the Lord. It's just a kind of crazy time to live in. But at the same time, we know that God is in control of all these things. So uh, that was just a brief summary of what's gone on so far. And uh, to transition into chapter 13, um, I want to tell you about a high school experience. So, uh, yeah. So, back in high school, I had a very patriotic American history teacher. He took pride in the subject matter, and he wanted to make sure that all his students were well informed of how this great nation came into being and the particulars of how it functioned. So, his expectations were extremely high. And his lectures just made your head hurt. And his grading, let's just say, it was very ruthless. But um, to do well in his class, um, you had to devote the time to study the material very well. And so come exam time, you could remember all the answers. So uh, I still remember to this day, whenever we would have an exam, he would say, Put away your books and notes, leaving only a writing utensil. And then, uh, yeah, and he would say it with a very straight face. And, uh, and then afterwards, there was about an hour we had to endure of the most grueling, mind-picking exercise that left your brain dead, your writing hand almost crippled, until the bell rang, and that signified freedom. Yes, it's over. But uh, just the memory of that class, you know, it still makes my wrist tighten up. But, um, you know, um, before the, that semester began, um, as students, we would have to register for the classes we needed to take. And I remember most everyone trying to sign up for that alternate history class just to avoid that unnecessary torture. And uh, I'll tell you something funny that happened. Um, so a bunch of my classmates, uh, they made their appointments early with the uh, counselors. And, you know, they would beg and plead and uh, say anything possible just so they could uh, get into that easy class and avoid the hard class. And so uh, when, uh, when their class was confirmed, um, you know, they were just boasting and laughing at all of us who got into the hard class again. And, uh, and well, you know, the counselors caught on to this and... Uh, you know, 
they saw these evasion <laughs> tactics, so uh, what did they do? On the start day of the semester, they switched the teachers. So uh, who got the last laugh now? But uh, joking aside, um, why do I bring this up? Well, um, I do want to inform you that there will be a final exam question at the end of this message. No reaction? <laughs> okay, well, well, just don't be nervous and don't worry. Unlike my history teacher's class, um, you have my word. Your brain won't be dead. Your hand won't be crippled. And you don't have to wait for the bell to be dismissed. In fact, um, this is an open book exam. And better yet, um, I'm sure everybody already knows the answer. But it's up to you on what you choose to remember. So let's see what the good Lord wants to reveal to us uh, through today's scripture. So I'm going to read through Exodus 13. And if you want to follow me, um, we'll just go through the entire text once. And then we're going to divide it up into a couple sections and just get into it deeply. So the first section. Verse 1, the firstborn consecrated. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. Then in verse 3, it begins the feast of unleavened bread. And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. Now, in verse 11, we have a section that's called the law of the firstborn. It reads, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the male shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall say to him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And finally, the last section in verse 17, it's called the wilderness way. It reads, then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. 
So they took their journey from Sukkoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from the people. Amen. All righty. So, let's move to the first verse, verse 13, the firstborn consecrated, where it reads again, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast. It is mine. So God is telling the people, Consecrate the firstborn. He's saying, It is mine. It belongs to me. And uh, remember, the Passover had just taken place, and the Hebrews are on their way out of Egypt. And God is proclaiming this to Moses, and he is saying, Consecrate all the firstborn, whether they are man and beast. And uh, in Psalm 24, verse 15, it says, The earth is the Lord's, and all its fullness, the world, and those who dwell therein. Everything belongs to God. God can do whatever he wants, whatever he demands, and it is good. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, uh, verse 12, um, it reads, And now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord, and his statutes which I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. And the point I'm trying to prove here is that, you know, everything belongs to God, and whatever God wants us to do with what he has given us, it is for the very best. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, it reads, But now... Thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You know, God wants his people to remember the Passover and the Exodus, as we see in the coming verses. So, um, what are you going to choose to remember from this single verse? So let's move to the second section, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So uh, verse 3, And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Um, you know, in this section, the consecration was to commemorate the exodus from Egypt. So the Lord wants the people to remember this event. And the Mo Moses is addressing the people directly. And uh, there are some things here that are being stressed that we remember. It says, remember the day. So the day is extremely important. Remember that it was a house of bondage. So the Lord wants the people to remember where they were. That, you know, it wasn't a good place. I mean, we, we remember the people complaining, you know, Oh, Moses, if we were just back in Egypt and we enjoyed the food there and all this and all that. But the Lord is saying, you know, that wasn't the good place for you to be. It was a place of bondage. And the Lord also wants them to remember it was by strength of hand the Lord brought them out. So, you know, it wasn't something they did on their own strength or something that they could have done. Even if they were Superman or the Incredible Hulk, it was the Lord's hand that saved them. There was a command to eat no leavened bread, and we see plenty of places in Scripture where leaven is, uh, you know, it's considered some sign of sin. But also, you know, there was haste. They had to go out very quickly. And, um, and you know, this was to commemorate and celebrate the Passover when God brought them into the promised land. So they were to keep this ordinance, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were to remove all leaven from their households. Seven days they would eat unleavened bread, and the seventh day would be a feast to the Lord. And then no leaven should be found among them. And, um, and near the end, you know, I think the important part is uh, 
the couple verses at the end. And you shall tell your son in that day saying, this is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. I want to stress the word as in verse 9. You know, it's repeated twice. As a sign to you, as a memorial between your eyes. And since the Lord is repeating this over and over, he's making sure that, you know, we pay attention to this. And uh, the Lord doesn't want his people to forget. And um, the Lord's saying, you know, tell your children. Make sure they understand this. Make sure they remember this. Keep God's law in your mouth. Keep the Passover from year to year. And, um, And therein lies, you know, what do we choose to remember with what the Lord is trying to teach us? You know, we've got to make the word of the Lord familiar to ourselves. And we have to be ready to use it for all occasions to restrain us from sin. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18, and I'll read a couple verses, it says, Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Now that's talking about the king who was to rule over Israel. And uh, back then, they didn't have a lot of copies of these. You know, they would have to go to the priests. And, uh, and we are just so fortunate to have this in our hands in this country when you know, there are so many brethren, um, especially Iran. You know? <laughs> they can die if they have this in their hands. Um, Psalm 119, verse 11, it says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So, um, you know, we've got to keep the Word of God in our hearts. We've got to choose to remember what He's trying to teach us. And, um, you know, there was some interesting things uh, I found out as I researched, you know, verse 9, um, you know, again, where it says, as a memorial between your eyes, and then uh, as a sign on your hand. Um, there's a term the Jews use called tephilin or prayers. And these were portions of the law which uh, they would bind upon the head or the arm when they were about to pray. Um, read a description of it. It was rolled up in a case of black calf skin. It was attached to a stiffer piece of leather. It had uh, uh, one, a thong one finger broad and one cubit and a half long. Um, these were worn on the forehead and were written on four strips of parchment and uh, put into a square case, and uh, the Hebrew letter Shin was on this, and, uh, and this was regarded as an emblem of God. And then um, they would call this the tefillah on the head. And uh, later in this chapter, we'll see other terms. Uh, it's called frontlets in verse 16. Or uh, I believe Pastor Rex might have referred to this as phylacteries in the couple of uh, sermons uh, he's taught recently. Um, the idea was these should be kept distinctly in view and carefully tended to. Um, you know, I wanted to stress the word as in that verse 9. Um, but you know, it seems like um, the Jews took this literally rather than you know, just keeping it in their hearts. They actually did something physical to uh, keep these passages written out. And um, interestingly enough, um, I want to list to you the four passages that were written out and uh, that these Jews would carry with them. So the first one was Exodus chapter 12, verses 2 to 10. And that was a study from, uh, I believe, two weeks ago. 
and it was where the Passover was instituted. The second one, it's actually a part of today's reading, Exodus chapter 13, verses 11 to 21, where it covers the law of the firstborn, uh, which we're looking at now. Uh, we'll actually look in a bit in the wilderness way. Um, the third one is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. It's the, the greatest commandment. And let me just read it to you so you get a picture of what the Jews thought so important that they had to write it out and carry it with them. So in chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, verse 4, it reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So again, you know, the Lord wants to remind us that we should keep the word in our hearts as a reminder to use in season, out of season, and keep it close to us. And uh, finally, the fourth one, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 to 21. And it's entitled, Love and Obedience Rewarded. And it reads, Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth." So God's intent is for us to remember his very word that gives us life. In Proverbs chapter 3, 1 to 2, it says, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For the length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. So again, I ask you, what do you choose to remember? So that takes care of the first 10 verses. And now let's move into the law of the firstborn, verses 11 through 16. So um, it says, it, And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the male shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you do not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And then uh, verse 14 um, to 16, it's a similar repetition where, um, you know, if your son asks you, why, why, why is this happening, Dad? You know, and you're to tell him, you know, um, you know, Pharaoh was stubborn. He wouldn't let us go. God killed the firstborn. And then we sacrifice to the Lord all the males that opened the womb. And, um, and the firstborn of my sons I redeem. And of course, verse 16, it shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So, a lot of repetition and a lot of things the Lord wants us to remember here. But um, here's something that really struck me here. Uh, the mention of a donkey and the redemption of a lamb. So, um, kind of looked into this to figure out what exactly it means. Because at this point, um, you know, the Levitical law of, uh, you know, how things were to be conducted, um, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't written yet, um, but there must have been some law out there. So um, let me read to you Levit Leviticus chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. Um, it's an explanation of clean and unclean animals. And, um, 
and uh, you know they're ruminant mammals, um, and basically, you know, those are animals that can eat food and regurgitate it from the stomach, chew it again, and um, and then it also talks about animals with uh, split hooves. So let me get into the uh, text here, Leviticus 11, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever divides the hoof, having cloven hooves and chewing the cud, that you may eat. Nevertheless, these you shall not eat among those that chew the cud or those who have cloven hooves. The camel, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The rock hyrax, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud, but does not have cloven hooves, is unclean to you. And the swine, though it divides the hoof, having cloven hooves, yet does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. They are unclean to you. So, um, kind of thought about it. Um, you guys know what the uh, symbol of the uh, Democratic Party is? <laughs> Alrighty, well, um, you know, um, kind of interesting. Um, so the origin of the Democratic donkey, uh, it can be traced to an 1820 presidential campaign of Andrew Jackson. And during that race, the opponents of Jack Jackson called him a jackass. However, uh, rather than rejecting the label, uh, Jackson, who was a hero of the War of 1812 and later served in the Representative and Senate, he was amused by it. So, um, so, and he included an image of the animal in his campaign posters, and uh, and then he went to defeat the incumbent John Quincy Adams and uh, serve as America's first Democratic president. And then um, in the 1870s, there was an influential political cartoonist called Thomas <coughs> Nast who uh, helped popularize that uh, donkey as a symbol for the entire Democratic Party. Um, so uh, given that fact, um, since the Democratic Party associates itself with a donkey, an unclean animal as its symbol, and uh, if you're affiliated with a Democratic Party in any way, you are considered unclean and must be redeemed. No? Well, you're right. Not quite. Um, that was just to make sure you guys are awake. But, um, but check this out. Even if you're a Republican, an Independent, or anything else, guess what? We are all sinners in God's eyes. And we must be redeemed by the blood of the blameless Lamb. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Amen to that. In Romans chapter 3, uh, verse 23 to 26, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by, by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen to that. Now, uh, back to the donkey issue. So in, uh, in chapter 12, um, God miraculously delivered all the firstborn of Israel, and, um, and God declared all the firstborn belonged to him. So this is an admirable memorial to remind the people of what God did to deliver them from bondage. But here's the problem. How can you offer an unclean animal to God? Now, uh, think about the days. Um, the donkey was a very necessary and useful animal, um, but it was considered unclean according to the law because it does not chew the cud, nor does it have split hooves. Um, now, I found... Uh, 
one of Spurgeon's sermons. It's called Redeeming the Unclean. It's sermon number 3458. And um, I want to mention a couple of the points um, because it's kind of neat to see the imagery that this presents for us. And God always uses simple, tangible examples to point us to Christ. So consider point number one. As a donkey being unclean was not acceptable to God, even so an unrenewed man being unclean is also unacceptable before the Most High. You know, as a sinful man, I am unclean in the sight of God. And what a wonder it is for the gospel, what it does for us, that it redeems us with a price. So, um, you know, as man was lost, as sin entered into the world through Adam, and, uh, and the law placed us in the very depths of hell, but the grace through Jesus Christ, it lifts up to the very high. And uh, like the donkey, you know, a creature that's incapable of rendering acceptable service to God, no unrenewed man is capable of rendering perfect legal obedience to God that he can accept. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. And we know the meaning of that. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So point number two, the service of man which God cannot accept is nevertheless God's due. So God could not receive that donkey because it was unclean, but it still belonged to God. Remember at the beginning we were talking, everything is mine. So God's claim extends over all the firstborn, clean or unclean, and that claim must be maintained. Now, as a sinner, I can't serve God because my service would be impure. But God's claim upon myself for a perfectly holy life has not ceased, which leads us to point number three. So that unclean thing must be redeemed by a substitute. So this is where our glorious gospel of Jesus Christ comes out. We have redemption in Christ. So, um, you know, think about the owner of this donkey, um, they would have to consider at that time, you know, there were no John Deere tractors to plow the fields or uh, transport the goods. So this was a very valuable beast of burden to them. But on the other hand, you know, um, the lamb would have to be killed in its place. And, uh, you know, the lamb could provide the wool for clothing. It could provide food when it grows up. But for the donkey to live, they would have to agree that the lamb would have to be sacrificed. Um, but, you know, if you put together all the people who have lived on this earth, past, present, and all who will live in the future, and put together all of creation, you could never equal in value to our precious Lord Jesus, who is the brightness of his Father's glory and the express image of his person. But, you know, in Romans 5.8 it says, um, But God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So the Lamb of God was offered to God as a substitute for ungodly, unclean, unacceptable man. That we might not die, Christ died for us. That we might not be cursed, Jesus was cursed and crucified. That we might be received, Christ was rejected. That we might be approved, he was despised. And that we might live forever, he bowed his head and died in our place. Point number four. The unredeemed man must die. So, the unredeemed donkey was to be put to a speedy and a disgraceful death by breaking its neck. You know, there's, uh, there's no choice except for this. If you trust in Christ, you are redeemed and you will live. So, again, what do you choose to remember? So, um, Exodus chapter 12, near the end, verse 40 to 42, it reads, um, Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. 
And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bring them out of the land of Egypt. This is a night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. And this leads us to the third section, the wilderness way. So, um, imagine you're under bondage for over for 430 years. You have witnessed ten severe plagues come over the very people who oppressed you, and the climax was the Passover, where all the firstborn of man and animal were killed. And um, And you know, uh, in verse 17 it reads, Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Um, you know, in Exodus twelve twenty-seven, it says, Then you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So every household was affected. And even Pharaoh's house, there was a great cry in Egypt in Exodus twelve thirty. So we had nine plagues that completely devastated the people in the land. Uh, if you recall, the Nile River was turned to blood. There were frog infestations. There were gnat infestations. There were flies. The livestock was killed. You know, imagine, you know, uh, all your food is gone and everything to transport your goods and run your machinery is gone. Then there was boil on the Egyptians and their animals. Then hail destroyed everything in the fields. And then the locusts devoured everything that was left after that. And then the tenth plague, turmoil, crying, mourning, the loss of loved ones, both young and old. And amidst all this craziness, all of a sudden, you have to leave. Um, you know, um, they baked unleavened cakes, it says in uh, Exodus twelve thirty nine, um, of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were driven out and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. So, what this was showing me is that, you know, God is very sensitive to where we're at, what we're going through, and he knows our hearts. He knew that his people were seeing a lot of amazing things happening, and, uh, but he knows what he, we can and cannot handle, and we, he won't let us be tempted by what we can bear. So, um, you know, that's why um, when I was looking at verse 17 and 18, you know, God made sure that he led them the way that he knew they could handle. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except such that is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So, um, what journey has God taken you on? Hold on to that thought. In the next verse, verse 19, um, it's neat to see a prophecy being fulfilled. It says, And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. Now, verse 19 is a reference to Genesis chapter 50, verse 22 to 25. And um, imagine this. A prophecy 400 years prior actually being fulfilled to the very word. It reads in Genesis 50:22. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household. And Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying. 
but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Isn't it just neat to see how um, every single word in the word of God is true, and it comes to fruition. So now let's go back to the journey, um, verse 20, where God is leading by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And the point I want to make here is that um, God never leaves us. He always provides a tangible way to remind us that, you know, he is there and we're not alone. Um, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So as to go by day and night, he did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Um, you know, a theophany, it's a manifestation of God in the Bible that is tangible to our human senses. And, uh, and it's just neat how, um, you know, for the place that the Hebrews were, you know, God revealed himself through the cloud and through the fire, and they would actually see him. They would know his presence is there. Um, and, you know, the Lord always is there for us. In Ch- Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it reads, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Another verse here, Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. It says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. And then uh, Joshua 1, 5, it says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. In another verse, Psalm 118, verse 6, it says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You know, what is the significance of the Lord in this cloud? Um, in Exodus fourteen nineteen to 20, um, there was something neat I noticed here. It says it gave light to one side. In verse 19 it reads, And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of the Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Do you think God has control over the weather and all the elements in it? Um, found a neat article um, that was published December 4th, 2016. And it reads, Biblical pillar of cloud protects Israel from ISIS over Golan Heights. And I can give you the uh, link to that. And the description is such. It says, uh, a startling video, which has been shared over 140 times on Facebook, reveals without a doubt the hand of God protecting Israel against her enemies. The video was posted on Thursday by Israel News Online, shows what appears to be an enormous pillar of cloud, dust and rain, hovering over the dangerous border between Israel and Syria in the very same area where ISIS militants had attacked IDF forces for the first time four days earlier. Most incredibly, the mysterious cloud ended precisely at the border without entering Israel's Golan Heights region, seeming to afflict the Syrian side while not harming Israel. This strange storm of what appears to be dust, cloud, and rain did not cross the border fence into Israel. It sat like a barrier between ISIS and Israel. 
I mean, God can control the weather, and um, it's neat to actually watch that YouTube video that these soldiers took with their phones, and uh, you can actually see it's a completely straight cloud, and it is just blocking that Syrian side. It, it was kind of like, man, this is probably something what the Israelites saw when the Egyptians were uh, after them. And what an amazing God we have. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 13, um, it's quoting Psalm 135, 7. It says, When he, God, utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. It's all in his hand. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 1, I want to read a couple of verses, starting verse 29. It talks about the glory of the new Jerusalem. It says, Then I say to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. In uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 12, it says, Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. And in the same chapter, verse 19 of Nehemiah, Yet in your manifold mercies you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way they should go. Um, it's just really neat how um, you know, the Lord has promised to be there for us, to show us the way to guide us through life as long as we're obedient and following where he wants us to be. Um, Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, um, a little more description about cloud. It says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of the meeting because the cloud rested above it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys." Just really neat to think about that. You know, God's presence is there. Um, I also want to read to you something from Revelation, chapter 21, starting from verse 23. You know, God illuminates our road in life. And um, just as He illuminated His people by day and night back in the past, so, um, Revelation 21, let me start with verse 22. It says, But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So, you know... Um, God has revealed himself to man in a tangible way because of his love for each of us. 
And He wants that intimate relationship with you that you may be blessed and be a blessing to those around you. Is this something that you choose to remember? Um, You know, throughout this particular passage, um, God was telling the people, remember this. Teach it to your children. Put it on your wrist. Put it on your forehead um, as a frontlet, as a reminder. And... uh, and so we come to the end. And, uh, and we come to that final exam question, remember? Don't think you were going to run away from this. But, um, you know, well, here it is. And, uh, and this is a very serious question. And, uh, and as we just read Revelation 21 in a couple verses, and, uh, you know, it says the Lamb is the light. And... Um, And the question is this, um, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? It's a very serious question to consider because um, heaven is only for those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life according to verse 27. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name again and we thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace and we thank you, Lord, for this passage. And for all the reminders that you show us through your word, Lord. That, Lord, you love us and you want the very best for us. And Father, I pray for all my brothers and sisters here today that uh, that you would just bless them all, touch them all, meet them where they're at, Lord God. And Father, um, ask that your spirit reminds us of where we fall short, where we need to improve. And Lord, I, I lift up anyone who strayed away from you anyone who doesn't know you personally, that you would visit them right now, Lord, and uh, touch their hearts. And Lord, um, we just ask that uh, your will be done in each of our lives, that you use us for your glory. And Father, um, as we close tonight, we ask that you would uh, protect us from the enemy, take us safely to our homes and our families. And Lord, um, let's not just keep this light that you've given us, but let's share it with everyone around us. And Father, uh, we just thank you. We love you. And in Jesus' name, all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen.